This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, guys, to Brown's Film Breakdown Recap Edition here on Monday morning. I want to talk to you guys about the Brown's 29-13 loss to the Texans in Houston. This is Jake Burns, writer for the OBR, Cleveland.com, coming to you guys. Uh, I'm actually recording this on Sunday night. Just got done with an interview with Brendan Leister. Brendan does a great job breaking down film for pro football focus. He's a data analyst for them, does a great job quarterback charting. And really, anytime I need a football question answered, he comes through for me anytime I jump into the DMs and ask him any kind of question. I've sort of transitioned from college football and, and high school coaching into what the NFL does, what the NFL calls schemes, and Brendan has a great feel for those things. So I encourage you guys, if you can, follow him on Twitter, at Brendan Leister. He usually is going to be giving you guys Browns content all the time, discussion, chatter, those sorts of things that I think – a good conversation comes from, and he does really well with that. So again, follow him at Brendan Leister. His written work will hopefully be popping up soon. I know he's working to get there. Uh, he's as he's as good as they come, and I look forward to seeing his his written work match up with the, the I'm sure the great work he's doing for Pro Football Focus, sort of behind the curtain for them, breaking down and charting quarterbacks. So I won't waste any more time. We're going to jump over with Brendan. Joined by Brendan Leister. Brendan, how you doing, man? Doing great. How about you, Jake? Not bad, not bad. Sunday, uh, Sunday evenings are always a little bit of a whirlwind, but we can we can sit down and talk about what happened, process things, and and come to a pretty clear conclusion about this this twenty nine thirteen loss. I want to I want to dive in quickly with you, uh, just your immediate takeaways, how you felt about coming into the game, how you felt about the game. I know myself, I had sort of reserved uh, expectations, but I did I did know that this was in the realm of possibility to uh, this sort of outcome with a little bit of disappointment that was involved. So t- talk to me, Brendan, about what you, uh, like I said, what you've thought coming in and then what, what you feel coming out of this one. I think coming into the game, I was hopeful, you know, cause the Browns had played well in the past few weeks, um, especially offensively. They had kind of turned things around from what we saw early in the season. Um, but at the same time, I was keeping in mind that they had played three of the worst defenses in the NFL. And now they were about to play the Texans who have a pretty good defense. Um, not to mention just I know that the Texans have been really hot on both sides of the ball. Deshaun Watson's been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL this year. So I knew that the Browns had a tough, you know, tough game on their hands, but I thought they had a good like a, a decent chance of competing in the game. You know, and I think um, obviously they didn't come out the way we wanted them to. Um, that was probably my ba- mo- most disappointing thing about the game was the way that they came out flat. Um just the turnovers and actually on defense, they did a good job of holding the Texans to field goals. They just, you know, got a lot of yards kind of the Texans kind of drove up and down the field on them throughout the game. Um, even though there weren't touchdowns, it's still, they were giving up a lot of points and the turnovers early by the offense really hurt them. Um, second half obviously came out and uh, did some good things in the past game, especially I thought Mayfield, 
Um, really, those those tight window throws he was kind of forcing in the first half a couple times that got intercepted. Um, he was converting those more often in the second half, and that was kind of the difference production-wise for him. Not to mention the fact that in that first quarter, they only had the ball for like, what, one five. or two minutes, I think? Yeah, five total plays. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so when you come out like that and the Texans just – held the ball the entire first quarter. It's really tough to get in a rhythm. So I thought those, those were kind of my main takeaways today. Yeah, pretty balanced attack from the Texans. They threw for 197, threw for, or sorry, ran for 187. So really only a 10-yard discrepancy there. The Browns obviously playing catch-up mode, 397 through the air, 31 on the ground is all they were able to muster rush game-wise. Um, I, I think everybody's going to – I think everybody's going to want to talk about Baker Mayfield. So as a guy who studies quarterbacks – you know, yourself and I have had many Baker Mayfield breakdowns on the YouTube channel. First half, here's my opinion, and I'll and I'll let you, you know, kind of shape what, what you think happened. But the windows get tighter in, in, in big games, not just big games, but against good defenses. And I thought the Texans made, and this is just me watching, not necessarily Mayfield felt this way, but I felt like the field was smaller. They had a way of shrinking it, even in the middle of the field. You know, they talk about... Uh, you know, the red zone field shrinks, but the middle of the field, they have a way of compressing things and they load the box, but yet they have guys who can play outside the box, even when they're in there. And I thought that got to Mayfield. So there were the Houston defense. What I think they do is they do a really good job of making you hit those tight window throws you were talking about, Brendan. And I thought they did a nice job of trusting their front guys and dropping into coverage. And that messed with Mayfield's usage of the slant he loves to throw and it really at least the Cunningham interception I thought it really affected and and, and really the Jonathan Joseph interception too confused him a little bit with where the zone coverage was going to link into so just your overall thoughts what what you thought Mayfield did and then you know you're going to talk about the second half too so go ahead man yeah early in the game the first thing that stood out to me about like when the when the Browns were on offense was just the Texans defense just looked so fast to me you know whether it was them coming out motivated or the talent level it might have been both but they just looked really fast flying all over the field um, especially defending the pass and uh, and and another thing that stood out was I felt like the linebackers were really getting deep in their drops and coverage and um, I'm not sure what the exact numbers were but I thought that maybe running more play action early in the game might have helped with those windows because it would have forced those linebackers to come up a little bit and maybe make those windows over the middle of the field a little bigger. Like, for example, on the Cunningham interception, you know, he was dropping pretty deep underneath the dig route and he intercepted that ball. So he was, or it might've been a curl route. Either way, it was an end breaking route um, with depth to the intermediate level. But regardless, I just felt like they were really getting deep in those drops and, um, it just took the Browns a while to settle in, obviously, um, especially Mayfield. You know, he 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 claimed that he only forced that that third interception, but um, I mean, he he just has a tendency to throw into tight windows, and we see that a lot. And with quarterbacks that do that, you're going to throw interceptions sometimes where other guys wouldn't even be willing to make the throw. They would be looking for the check down earlier in the down, and that's mm-hmm. that's just how he is. He's aggressive and. He's going to hit those big time throws like the one uh, the ones to Callaway, I should say, the one that got called back and then the one that went for the play that went down to the one. And then he's also going to have those plays where it's really tight coverage and he forces it and it gets intercepted. So that's kind of just we saw kind of (laughs) both sides of Baker Mayfield today, I feel like. Yeah, it's going to be interesting in his career to track guys who can hit those tight windows like you talk about, Brennan how many of those tight windows are necessary? 
You know, you're talking mm-hmm. about those deep drops linebackers are taking. Are there, and we'll have to watch. You haven't broken it down yet. I really am just starting to break it down. So we're sort of doing this, guys, on the first run through. But my opinion is his ability to find, and I've wrote about this for Cleveland.com, and, and I think I put some stuff on the OBR too, but his long-term success is going to be manifested on how well he can manage taking risks versus taking what's given to him. And I thought in the first half there was a lot of taking risk when, as Brendan noted, guys, the drops were deeper from linebackers, whether that was being able to read play action quickly or no play action at all because the Browns, and I say that because the Browns play action can sometimes be very what I call pseudo, which is they're not fully committing to the play action. They're just sort of putting a ball out there real quickly. And and I just thought that they, like Brendan said, they play fast. I thought the windows were really tight and had a way of making the, the field seem small, and it affected Mayfield. I do think he adjusted because I don't think, and at least this is what I thought, Brendan, and you can you can give your thoughts on this too. I didn't think the Texans did much different in the second half. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, their frame of mind changes. You're up 20 something to, th- to 23, nothing, I think was a halftime score. I, I could be wrong on that, but you know, you, you, you take your foot yeah. off the gas to an extent, but they didn't do anything that was that much different. They were still playing that aggressive, uh, fast approach with dropping coverage players and forcing Mayfield to make those. And I thought he made those throws in the second half for the most part. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I think so too. Um, I, I did think that they just kept playing the same game. It didn't seem to me like they were dropping in any type of prevent defense or anything like that. You know, okay. I saw some people suggest that. I, I disagree. Um, yeah, it, it really did just feel like he was probably hitting those windows a little quicker, getting the ball out on time. I did see in the press conference after the game, he mentioned getting the ball out on time was an issue for him early in the game, and mm-hmm. and that makes sense. You know, when you hold the ball for an extra hitch, that's that's forever in the NFL. You know, that's yeah. that's long enough for an athletic, you know, linebacker or safety or corner to, to drive on a pass and intercept it. And and we saw that. And I think probably in the second half, he was, you know, he came out motivated to bounce back from that, bring his team back. And, and he was probably determined to get the ball out on time, be more decisive. And that was probably the difference in those tight windows where he was able to get the ball out a little bit quicker and, and make the throws. Um, like you said, we haven't really got to be able to break it down in depth yet and really look at what happened on the all 22 or anything, but this is just our takeaways from seeing it live. And, and I'll say this, you know, I, I having played quarterback and coach quarterbacks and Brendan's coaching them at the high school college level. What impressed me about Mayfield is every quarterback is going to have these types of games. And, and I, and I know Brendan, you noted that Cam threw four, Cam Newton threw four interceptions today. Yep. Russell Wilson stone five in a game before on and on and on down the list. You're going to have these games in the NFL. And I don't care if your experience level is at the beginning of your career or at the very end of your career, it's just going to happen. So what I wanted to see was how he handled himself in the second half. Was he still willing to throw the ball? Because if you throw three interceptions, your mind starts thinking uh, your mental processing starts slowing down. You start questioning what you're seeing the defense doing but that didn't change. His his entire approach stayed as consistent as we have seen throughout the entire season now when he's been in there. And I like that. I just I really felt good about the second half performance from him. And yes, I get it that the frame of mind of the Texans is different. I don't want to hear anybody come at me about that. I understand. But they were playing for a shutout when they opened that half, and that is exactly what Jadavian Clowney said out of the locker room. And they wanted it, and the Browns gave it to him, and I think that's why a lot of Texans were impressed. So that's good on Mayfield. We've talked enough about him. I do want to. I don't. I'm going to skip over the run game because when you go behind 20 points as quickly as the Browns did, you're really you, you can talk about sticking to the run game, but you just have to make up points or they're throwing it. They just they're they're going to throw it all. They only ran the ball nine times. So 
you can't get behind. If you want to run the ball, don't fall behind. I do want to talk offensive line. Um, they kept Mayfield clean again, another game with no sacks, but a couple penalties, uh, one big penalty took the Callaway throw. How do you feel? I mean, we've talked about this, and I want you to give everybody sort of your opinion on this. The Greg Robinson situation at left tackle all the way over to Chris Herbert right tackle. There's no arguing the Browns have a strength of their, their offensive line is the interior, which is important. But do you feel okay, Brendan, with – where they're at as an offensive line. Do you feel like, okay, going into this offseason, you can keep this five, add Corbett, um, and, and, and keep developing um, Harrison, and do you feel okay with those seven guys going into next year that you can win enough football games? I think that it would be best for them to continue to add in the draft. You know, okay. I think it would be prudent to add competition or depth at, at the tackle positions. Um, I thought Greg Robinson today – it was probably his roughest game that we've seen so far. Um, he he got beat a few times where, you know, like one of them I pointed out, it was a three-man rush. Like he probably should have had help from Batonio on the play. It looked like he expected inside help. Clowney went inside, got near Mayfield, and then it resulted in that pick six. Um, but it was, it was probably a hit on the quarterback on that play, I think. At least it was a pressure. It forced the ball out a little quicker probably than it should have been. But, um, but yeah, I, I want to... I want to believe in Greg Robinson, and and I think uh, I think he has a chance, but I'd still like to see them add competition, probably. Um, interior, I'm happy with that. I hope Corbett comes along and he can, you know, whenever one of those guys goes down, like Treader has come so close to going down this year. You know, he's been playing hurt almost all year. Hopefully, mm-hmm. Corbett can step in whenever one of those guys gets injured, whether it's this year, next year, and plays well, and then at right tackle. Um, I think Hubbard's played a lot better in recent recent weeks. Um, I just hope that I would really like to see them get like a great offensive line coach that can come in and you know be consistent in developing the offensive line and getting the most out of them because I think that Hubbard had that in Pittsburgh with Mike Munchak. He's yeah. arguably the best offensive line coach in the NFL, and he played really well under him. And Munchak's great about getting the best out of his offensive line and maximizing them and and. Uh, just going forward, I hope that the Browns can find someone that does that. I'm not saying Bob Wiley is a bad offensive line coach or anything. I just think that you can really tell when there's those top-of-the-line offensive line coaches and what it does for a team long-term when you have that because then you can develop the Desmond Harrisons and maximize the Greg Robinsons and the Hubbards, and and that just does so much for you because then you don't have to spend those first-round picks and pay all this money to these guys in free agency. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I do think that they have to, they do need to commit something there, whether that's, I don't think it's going to be a high-end pick, but it is something they need to continue to add to, and especially at the tackle position. So I'm with you, and I align with that opinion for sure. I, I do think, I, I will switch to the to the defensive side of the ball now, uh, touching on offensive line coach. I think Mike Devlin, the Texans offensive line coach, for the talent that they have on the offensive line, and Deshaun Watson helps with this because he's really just fantastic and in a, in a real comfortable rhythm, and he gets out of situations. But for the overall talent, I think they do a pretty good job. But but how would you say, and this sort of segues, how how would you say the Browns are doing up front? Your analysis of they, they gave up another 187 rush yards, box players, linebackers, front four. Where do you sit with the talent? I know Larry Ogunjobi left with what seems might be a serious biceps injury. We'll have to see sort of how that shakes out, but – are any of the guys that are here outside of Larry and the interior um, defensive line, we'll start with D tackles. Are those guys long-term players, man? 
I personally don't think so. Um, I haven't like studied Price close enough. I've seen him on the field, but I, I don't think like he and Coley and whoever else they put in there, I don't really think those are long-term starting type talents or even guys that should end up being on the roster. Coley um, was disappointing again today, man. Like he's, it's a yeah, problem. Yeah. I think he's, yeah, he's consistently disappointing, I think. So if you take like, if you find a, a three technique in free agency or the draft and put him next to Ogan Joby, that could really be something good if you can find a talent at that position. Cause Coley has not done a lot to impress me, honestly, between last year and this year, just a splash play here and there, which I haven't seen much of recently at all. Um, defensive end. I think, I think Zettel has actually been impressive um, when he's played. I saw him beat a block today. And if it wasn't for Watson sprinting out to the right, um, leaving the pocket, and I think getting sacked by Avery on the play, I think yeah. Zettel might have had a sack on that play. He kind of forced him out. Um, Garrett, obviously. I mean, Garrett's a great player, clearly. He's, he has his potential to be defensive player of the year in the NFL someday. You know, he's on the right track. He's he's a great player, special. Um, yeah, and I think, I think, I Brendan, think, I think you can get by with 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 a mixture of the three guys of at some point. I mean, you're going to bring – Jannard is not a cover guy. You and I have talked about this. Yep. He's an edge rusher. I think you can get by with Miles. I think you can get by with um, – you know, with, with the mixture of Agba and Jannard Avery, and you can bump mm-hmm. Agba inside a little bit. But I want to ask oh, you yeah. this question, sort of segue to the linebacker issue, because I didn't think they were very good today. You know, it, it, Jamie Collins is hit or miss every week. Some weeks he's really good. He's he's really seems in tune. The next week, like this one, I just sort of thought he's distant and, and not making the, the fly across the field plays he can make from time to time. I think Joe Schobert is the anchor. He's their guy. He's, he's going to be a Pro Bowl linebacker for them for a good amount of years. Are they missing Christian Kirksey? That's a big question. Mm, it's tough. I mean, you could make the argument that he might be a better player than Vallejo, who I don't think has played great. You know, he might have done a few good things here and there, but generally speaking, I don't think either player is a huge upgrade over the other. Um, Kirksey, very inconsistent in his run fits and hasn't been nearly the cover player that he was early in his career over the past two seasons. So, like, I know that some people think that the team's really missing Kirksey, but if you look at the run defense, they were still giving up those long runs even when Kirksey was out there. Um, I think he and Collins are pretty undisciplined players or something. Either they're like they're guessing at the wrong times or taking chances when they shouldn't be. Just I think in general, those guys aren't great when it comes to their run fits and their consistency. And even in pass coverage, they're not great at you know, communicating and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you'll see sometimes where there'd be two defenders in the same zone covering a receiver. And then there's another, there's a receiver wide open in the zone that one of those players should be in. And that happens too often. Um, and then with Schobert, I mean, obviously great player. Hopefully he's a great player for a long time for the Browns. I just think that, like I mentioned to you earlier, I think sometimes it's tough because they, they, they run so much Tampa too. So yeah. he's in run pass conflict all the time because yep. He's expected to drop and cover the middle third because they're trying to protect the seam, but he also has to come up and play A gap or B gap in the run game. So it's just, it's really tough the position they put him in. And he's clearly a special athlete because he has the ability to do it. You know, he comes up and he makes those tackles near the line of scrimmage and he's lining up deeper than most linebackers I've seen ever line up in the NFL most of the time. So he's, um, He's a big time player. I just think that at those other two positions, they could definitely use. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard. I mean, I don't want to see the Browns draft a guy in the first or second round or anything, but it would be great to see them 
bring someone solid along it would just be disciplined. That's yeah. that's all I really wanted that position. Opposite Schobert is just discipline at those outside linebacker positions. Yeah, that, that that sums up every every bit of way I feel about it. It they're in a bit of a conundrum because they need more out of Collins than they're getting. They needed more out of Kirksey. Kirksey, I think, has more talent in his body than than Vallejo has, but there's no difference. Like Brendan, you know, like mm-hmm. like Brendan said, guys, there's there's genuinely no difference this year between what we've seen from Kirksey and what we've seen from Vallejo in limited snaps. So that's they're in a bit of a conundrum there. I thought today Schobert played well. Again, eleven tackles, uh, covers the field as best he can, and he's he still was solid in coverage. You look at the back end. Uh, Denzel Ward leaves early with a concussion. I do, I do, and this is just me. The fragile nature of him. He's not big. <laughs> he's really not. So I do worry about. And concussions are different. I get it. But but how well he's able. This will be something that I, I pay attention to. Is how well he's able to stay on the field for 16 games a season because things get physical, run his way. I just have concerns. That's all I'm saying. He's a great player. He's a dynamic corner for them when he plays. I have no concern about that. Talking about this is a, a topic that came up on Twitter, and I, and I know this is something people will ask about often because the, the preconceived notion you have is you draft Enzo Ward as a shutdown corner, you're going to put him on the other the opposing team's number one receiver each and every game. Well, that's not necessarily the way the Browns approach it, or many in the league approach it. They put their number two corner on the number one corner, and it's a fair question by sort of a, the novice fan of why would you go about doing it that way? So, so fill the people in if you can, Brendan, on why the approach might work. Yeah, so the reason that you would do that is um, you take your top corner, like Denzel Ward, and d- sadly he got hurt today, but you know typically, so if he's in the game plan, you put him on the other team's uh, number two receiver, and you kind of take him away. So you take that guy out of the game plan. Because if you put him on the number one receiver, then he's going to do his best, but that receiver is still probably going to put up production. So you're kind of wasting your top corner kind of, and then the other team's number two receiver is probably going to get some production also against your number two corner. So what you do is you take your number two corner, you put him against your, their number one receiver and you give him help. So whether that comes in the form of a linebacker dropping to the flat underneath him or a safety over the top, you do all kinds of different things to give that guy help. So that's what we saw today, like with Carey, for example, against Hopkins and also in the in the Atlanta game against Julio Jones. Um, they're they're giving him help. I know that in some of those situations he looked like he was one on one, but um, I know in one of those instances, I think it was the third and twenty, this this specific play comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like Carey was he was trying to play either over the top or some type of trail technique against Hopkins. And it looked like Jamie Collins was underneath and the ball was just perfectly thrown. It was right over Collins. Yeah. That was the um, opening drive. They they dropped that in there to him on the right sideline. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yep. And, and it was a tight window and Watson made a great throw and it wasn't terrible coverage. You know, it's, it's a tough assignment for any corner to go against Hopkins. So you might as well just put your number two corner on him, give him help and then have Ward just take the other receiver out of the game plan and make them go to other places. Um, I, I like that strategy. I like it a lot more than what people expected coming into the year with the idea of putting Ward against you know, the top receivers and then just kind of just going from there because it makes a lot more sense to take number two out and then double number one and try to take him out as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they held, I mean... I know I know Ward left I think late in the second quarter, but he had he had had held and they they held Thomas the rest of the way to just 
three catches, 32 yards, and they really held Atlanta's number two, Calvin Ridley, to uh, I, I'm not sure Calvin Ridley had. I'd have to look back, but I don't think he had anything impactful. So, oh. um, you know, it it, it works. It works, and it's working for them, and that's that's why mm-hmm. they're doing it. So, uh, to kind of to 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 tie a bow on this week, there's there's two things I want to get your opinion on. They're, they're coaching-based things. And I know a lot of this stuff is conjecture. People get carried away with it. I sometimes get carried away with it because it is a fun topic to discuss. But the the, the idea, Brendan, of continuity within what's working. Now, there's still four audition games left, and if all four go south, they're going to have a different conversation in the offseason. But they have been playing better of late, obviously markedly better than Hugh when Hugh and Todd Haley were here. So the idea of keeping Greg Williams, keeping Freddie Kitchens, uh, I guess keeping Blake Williams has sort of been the pseudo DC under his father. Is that a a, a moving forward long term pairing you like? First part, second part. If it is, and you don't like sort of the structure there with those guys, do you think adding Arians and Bruce Arians into it is obviously interested in the job? Do you think he is an answer to keep the continuity within those schemes together? And 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 sort of what does that long term thing look like to you? I do like the idea of the continuity because they have so many young players that have just been brought up in the past couple of years and in, in the system and placed on defense and then on offense just. You know, being in Freddie Kitchens, what he's doing now and what he can add to next year. I just I like the way that he's called games so far. I, I obviously want to see more from here, but I, I'm impressed with him. Um, so I do like the idea of continuity. I guess my biggest thing is just worrying about Greg Williams being the head coach long term. It's just it's hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like he's turned down a lot of head coaching opportunities. I know that he's you know, said some things in the media that people are like, oh, I don't believe that. But I do imagine that he probably has turned down the opportunity to be a head coach at times, probably, or some interviews at least to stay a defensive coordinator, probably. And and uh, I just I wonder about that. I wonder about his style. You know, right now they like the discipline. They like the hard nosed nature of it. But how, are they going to enjoy that long term? I mean, th- this is all new to them. They're used to Hugh Jackson's you know, his laid back style. And so obviously a change, yeah, more discipline, more attention to detail. That all sounds great to them now because it's working and they've won some games and it it feels good because they're producing. But what if it doesn't work for a stretch next year and the team is just tired of Greg Williams being on their ass all the time? You know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of where I worry about his style and can he adjust? You know, I do think that he's done a hell of a job, you know, with managing the position he's in now and, Clearly, he's done a great job of instilling discipline on the team and the attention to detail. You know, the the number of drops has gone down significantly, and I think that's part partly because he's been on them about that. Um, but I think I think the Arians thing is intriguing to me. If you keep you know Greg Williams as the DC, if he would be willing to do that, um, Kitchens has coached for for Bruce Arians before, so mm-hmm. that makes sense. You know, as a fit. Um, that's still probably not a long-term thing. Um, Arians is what 66 years old, I think. And so how long does he really have in him? So then from there, you kind of have to hope that long-term you have a person to transition to, but you know, obviously though you're hoping to try to get in position to win a Super Bowl on Baker Mayfield's rookie contract. I mean, that's what the team needs to have as a goal because once you get past that point and you have to pay him, then it gets tough from there. So, um, I'm intrigued by the idea, but at the same time, I just I need to see a lot more. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think we see those immediate upgrades and we see a, a form of competent coaching and everyone wants to say, well, just stick with the status quo. It's work. Mm-hmm. It, it, it can be a mixed result when you when you do it over the long haul. Short-term results, never, never great for the process. So, um, you know, as we transition then, if, if the Arians route – isn't what they deem fit. And, and I would have no issue. I will, I will make it known. And I've made it known. I have no issue with the idea of Bruce Arians and keeping the continuity for all the reasons you just stated, Brendan, the continuity within system, all of those things for young guys that help. And they have looked better. And Freddie kitchens will only hopefully get better as an offensive coordinator. And then as those two, you know, continue to blossom a relationship. I could see why that would work for some people, but I will say two names that have been buzzworthy and we'll dive into this in the off season and cover all the other names that could continue to pop up. But two guys, uh, Mike McCarthy fired tonight after the Packers lost to the Cardinals and John DeFilippo, who is um, the Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator Two sort of, I would say one of the younger names and in, in DeFilippo and then one of the old guard names who's found success, a Super Bowl winner, McCarthy. Uh, did, the, did either of those names intrigue you as, as the front runner types for the job? It's it's a really tough question. Um, D. Filippo, no, I, I'll just start with him. Um, I I'm not sold on him as an OC even at this point. I think that he okay. did some good things in Cleveland, and you know they threw the ball a lot. I know that the players seem to have an issue with his lack of commitment to running the ball. The year after Kyle Shanahan was there, and they. You know, they were very dedicated to the run game and play action. Um, I think that, you know, he did a, a fantastic job developing Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz, de- like, improved leaps and bounds under him, and that that's a big reason people like him so much. And and I think he did a good job with, with the situation in Cleveland as well. You know, I think Manziel improved even, and I know some people scoff at that. But mechanically and, you know, from a playing football standpoint, he definitely improved from year one to year two when he was in Cleveland. Um, I think in, in Minnesota this year, a lot of people have taken issue again with his lack of commitment to running the ball. Um, I know that there's some people think a lack of creativity. I know that um, Kirk Cousins, his yards per attempt has been very low, I believe. Um, and I just know that Minnesota Vi- Vikings fans in general just don't seem very happy with his you know, his work as an OC this year. So uh, you take all that into account. Yes, great quarterbacks coach, um, hopefully a good OC, but who knows? And then you take into, you know, head coach. The thing with the head coach is the stuff that we just, I just talked about, that doesn't really even matter that much because being a head coach is all about managerial stuff, the leadership, organization, attention to detail, making sure everybody below you knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing in their role and they're prepared for it. And you're overseeing everything and you're leading an organization. And I have no idea if flip is cut out for that or not. I mean, he might be fantastic in that role and he also might be best as just a, you know, quarterback guru and a fantastic quarterback developer and maybe a good OC maybe. But as far as head coach, I'm definitely not sold on him. And, um, if they if the Browns got him, I'd be really hopeful, but I would still be kind of nervous, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I think that, that what I have come to think about, and I tried to express it on Twitter tonight, is that this sort of coaching uh, option group, the group of guys who could coach, become head coaches in the NFL or switch jobs, whatever, there is no home run. Like right now, there is no guy that everybody's running to. I think Lincoln Riley is a name that people want to talk about college level, Matt Campbell as well. 
I have apprehension about guys' first experience in the NFL being as a head coach. I think there's just a lot to the league that is to be understood. And while I do understand that the NFL is changing offensively to be more like the college game on a week-to-week basis, that's great. I get it. But these are no longer 18- to 21-year-olds. These are grown men, and there's more to it than just drawing things up on a whiteboard. So I I, I don't want to dig into that yet because that's something you and I will talk about in the offseason. But, um, you know, I I think that it is going to be very interesting to see where John Dorsey's history, uh, who he has, you know, worked with in different locations, the Dave Tobbs, the Eric Bieniemies in Kansas City, the, the McCarthy connection from his time in Green Bay, or staying with the Bruce Arians name, the old guard, and continuing that continuity. It'll be very interesting to see where that whole uh, group of, 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 of thought stuff with, jo- with John Dorsey, where it takes him as this coaching search you know, gains ground as the season will end. So uh, very yeah. interesting Do you want stuff. me to give my take on McCarthy? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm very interested in that. A yeah. Little bit. yeah um, so I think that there's probably definitely a – well, there was obviously a point in time where he was doing a good job in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think there. You can't just say that. Oh, it's always been Aaron Rodgers, or I don't even know if he did coach Brett Favre. I, I'm not sure, but you can't. You can't just say that it was always Aaron Rodgers. You know, they they definitely meshed together and had good times together and were very successful within the offense. I think just over time that relationship is broken apart, obviously, and you see that on the field. Um, it just seems like Rodgers probably is trying to call something and McCarthy's trying to call something else. And it just seems kind of messy at times. And that's probably just the way the relationship has fallen apart. Um, I know people call his offense stale and um, outdated and stuff. And there's probably something to that. Um, The hope, the hope if you were to hire him or if the Browns were to hire him is just, you hope that he kind of goes through the resurgence that Andy Reid had um, yeah, people said the same thing about Andy Reid. You know, I know that some people are saying that Andy Reid's always been a mastermind, and he's always, you know, I I think Andy Reid has always been a great, great offensive coach. He has been, but but you can I know that there were people saying these same things about Andy Reid that they're saying now about McCarthy. And if McCarthy is ready to reinvent himself and hire some really innovative offensive coaches below him, you know, innovative, innovative offensive coordinator, he might be the type that would be good to step into the role I was talking about before, you know, as a head coach, as the guy that oversees everything Mm and a true like CEO type presence as the head coach. And if that was the case, then, I'm okay with that, you know, but, but I definitely don't want him to just bring his, his offense that was kind of broken in green Bay. It seems to Cleveland and just hope that that's going to work because it seems like over time, that's probably not going to work, especially with where the NFL is going. And hopefully John Dorsey and, and these guys in the front office have that, that foresight and they can see, okay, this isn't really where the NFL is going. Let's go in another direction or let's talk to McCarthy about him going in another direction. Um, and, and there's another little thing that I just wanted to mention too. I just think that with, with Aaron Rodgers, um, I would say that there's probably a lot of things with his style of play where he kind of passes up a lot of throws within structure of the offense. You know, he likes to hold the ball and try to make the play outside structure and force the ball down the field into tight windows. And that's part of what makes him special. You know, he, he does those things, but, but you could probably make the argument that if, if he would take some of those plays in structure that are there, then maybe the offense would be better in general. So 
there's probably points to be made on McCarthy's side and also points to be made on Rogers' side. I don't think it's just one's bad, one's good. It's probably, you know, there's issues on both sides of the of the discussion. Yeah, and how those it would take. I think you're right, and I, I will piggyback from where you said the the change in how he approaches things. I don't think anybody who pays attention to the NFL would would argue with you if you said Aaron Rodgers seems like a tough guy to work with. Like he's just grown into this very demanding alpha. And that's cool. Like I want my quarter I love Aaron Rodgers. He to me is the greatest guy to ever put on the pads and play quarterback. Like that's just my opinion different time topic, but he is he has certainly shown an ability to be tough to work with and you made a good point where you know is is Aaron Rodgers taking what's given to him or is he extending plays and doing that sort of magic he always does. You know, with Baker Mayfield, how does he mesh, McCarthy mesh with that sort of same thing, right? Mayfield seems to pass up some open opportunities to drive the ball into tight areas and work out a structure a little bit. And he's also known to be stubborn uh, type of character. Uh, and, and those sort of labels come with him. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm not against it. I think that he would have to, like you said, Brendan, which is great. He needs to redefine who he is the same way Andy Reid did because people yep. did complain. People complain about every hire. People can't complain in, uh, you know, St. Louis or when they moved to L.A. at the time about the – you know, about the hire of Sean McVay. People can find oh, anything yeah. to complain about. They will. So I'm open to believing in John Dorsey in this situation that whoever he brings in, he's asked these smart questions that you and I talk about. Most people that cover the Browns talk about. Hopefully they, they get to the bottom of it and can paint a really good five-year picture because you're right. They have to capitalize on his uh, and him being Baker Mayfield's rookie contract because it's paramount to building that roster structure with the money you have saved from that, putting it to the rest of the roster to put the weapons around uh, Mayfield on the offensive side and the defensive side. And that's what the Chiefs have capitalized on. Well, you, you know, take away Kareem Hunt. But nonetheless, they've capitalized on that in Patrick Mahomes' contract with those weapons around him. So that's what we hope to see from the Browns. All right, guys. So that's a that's a wrap-up for our Week 13 a quick reaction recap. I want to thank Brendan again for coming on. You can find him on Twitter, at Brendan Leister. Again, if you have questions about the film what guys are doing what and why they're doing this, that, or the other, ask him. He'll respond to you. It's always going to be straightforward, very objective take. He's never going to give you guys crap about opinions. You know, keep the opinions in line, obviously. We don't want to be ridiculous out here, but he's going to be able to break this. Like, he spends all this time like I do. He's the only guy I know, stays up late, breaks down film, what he's doing for pro football focus. Obviously, the man's making good money doing it, but he's making this money doing film work. He can give you guys the insight uh, and can pass it along to you. So find him there. Hopefully we see him writing a little bit more soon as the season winds down. Uh, Brendan, man, I, I got to thank you again, buddy, for coming on. And, and hopefully we can connect at the end of the year, talk a little bit more in the off season. Yeah, thanks again, man. I always enjoy it. And hopefully we can do another one of those film breakdowns soon. Absolutely. Look for that this week, guys. All right. We will be right back with close. I want to thank Brendan for coming on, taking some time on a Sunday night to jump on, break everything down. Hopefully you guys got a good bit of information and a really good feel for how that game went. As usual, there will be more content I produce for the OBRCleveland.com as the week wears on, as we get more of that All-22 film breakdown that the NFL provides us. So, again, thanks guys for joining us here on Monday morning. We appreciate you listening as always. Browns Film Breakdown is on Twitter, at BrownsFilmBDN. If you guys can, the usual, jump on iTunes, give us a rating and review. Five stars are always appreciated. Writing a review helps as well. Jump on, listen to all the Blue Wire podcasts. They're covering all across the NFL. Baseball content, 
and the NBA content as well as you guys can listen to the Chase Down pod that's going to cover the Cavs. So, uh, again, guys, thanks for listening. Browns jump back this week against the Carolina Panthers, who are in uh, really desperation mode as they lost to an unexpected game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they're going to come into First Energy Stadium needing a win. Browns have to match that energy, and, and hopefully we can see them bounce back in a big way. So, again, thanks for joining us, Browns Film Breakdown. As usual, guys, we'll see you later this week. Go Browns! Thank you.